lot of people walking around in packs looking at their phones. It doesn't yeah. tell you anything, I guess, but usually it's a indicator of a lot of Pokemon in the area. Is, are they doing Pokemon Go still? Oh yeah, it's I, yeah. I didn't know that's still a thing, but it's a cool concept. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Relatively Uncharted. I'm Ryan, and I'm Nick, and we're cousins here, just talking about anything and everything. Each week, we'll bring out a different guests, find out who they are and what they love to do. And while we're getting ready for our next guest, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons below. Here we go. Casey, welcome, welcome. So uh, we've been talking about for a while, trying to get you on the podcast. Uh, I know for a few years now, maybe even 2016, 2017, when we were all swiping for Pokemon. Um, you know, we ran this idea by you to get on the episode, uh, kind of didn't really have an idea. And you probably like, uh, okay, sure, whatever, but give me something more concrete. Um, and I think now we kind of have something uh, together. So Ryan and I kind of threw this together. I uh, started thinking that we'll do, you know, start focusing on people that we know, but, uh, you know, our guests, we'll talk to them, get to know them, and ultimately learn about their careers because the main thing for us is, you know, we're still trying to figure it out ourselves, but, you know, as a 18-year-old, you know, high school kid, coming Hold on, of age, so I thought you were kid, a lot older than that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I grow the beard to uh, look a few years up, uh, older, so um, it's all still smoke and mirrors. <laughs> How's that for knocking you off the? Uh, you were yeah, the most focused. That was the most focused everybody in this group's ever been for a yeah. minute straight, and it only took one slight comment to completely upend the whole episode right off the bat. That's why we brought you on here. That's one hundred percent what we needed is to get off track. You know, you, you know, my relatively uncharted track that we're now on. That brings us right back on track. Uh, that's a, that's a nice plug. Uh, so, but yeah, um, you know, we'll roll into this real quick. I got a few quick updates. Um, so we, you know, as I was saying, we switched up the, uh, style here. So we're going to get to know our guests a little more before we get into their, their careers, their jobs and what they've done with their life, um, for work. I think that's a little dry and boring. So, uh, you're here to entertain, um, real quick thing. So when we switched up, you know, one of the segments that we've created is called green lights, which is, you know, uh, for me personally, I, you know, I brought that in from what I, uh, you know, from Matthew McConaughey, he wrote his, you know, autobiography about, uh, and it's titled, hold on a second. Is it Matthew McConaughey? McConaughey. Uh, let's get him on here and ask. Hey, we're going to, are we waiting until he gets here? Yeah. Just who, who has, do you have his number? Who has his number? I did. Um, I had his old number, uh, but I, yeah, I don't have it anymore because it wasn't that important to me. All right, well, we'll, more, you know, we'll have the. Uh... I would say he's not. He's not an is he, or just like a B lister anymore. I think yeah, he's an anymore. A-lister, you know, he, even with the Lincoln commercials, if you're if you're selling old people cars and trying to make them young, do you slap you down? I feel like he's an all-time A-lister, no matter what. Okay. Yeah, when you when you win an Oscar, you got you you remain an A-lister, right, for life. You're in the club. I feel like he's been around for three generations. Less work. He's like iconic to like all ages. 
He definitely I know is. a lot of rules, but I don't know how those Oscar rules work. Yeah. Well, speaking of then, uh, since we're talking about, you know, age, uh, I pulled a quote from his book uh, that, you know, kind of makes sense for what we're doing here. So um, he said, life is our resume. It is our story to tell and the choices we make write the chapters. Can we live in a way where we look forward to looking back? Which I think kind of ties into what we're trying to do here. You know, uh, life's a journey. It continues. Uh, so if you don't know what you're doing yet, but, you know, you're looking to hear from those that have been there, done that, you know, gone through the trials, learned what works, learned what doesn't, you know, you can learn a lot from that. So, um, you know, another sounds like what him, he's saying is even if you have no idea what you're doing, at least do something interesting that you can talk about when you get old. That's it. Is that how you would uh, say that you live your life? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm living my life right now. A dog one step at a time. Future, yeah, one step at a time. I'll give you this. They're walking along the White River. It's like the only geographic feature, basically, in all of Indianapolis. A capital that really whole history behind it, but basically shouldn't even be where it is, sort of thing. This river used to be so polluted. It was kind of like uh, Lake Erie. Point being, I go and swim in this, even though it's still kind of disgusting, and I'm one of the few people that. W and they're like you are, <laughs> you are sick. And like this one beat partner of mine that I work with, he's like, you know, if 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 money's that big of an issue, Seton, we can kind of we'll pool together some finances and we'll get you a pool pass somewhere. <laughs> like, it's not so much that; it's yeah. more like what we're gonna talk about and like the upbringing and like liking, you know, having grown up in Florida, liking the open water swim and all that sort of stuff. There's a there's a few guys out there with me, but they're not moving too fast. I think that's a Kramer line when he goes and swims in the East River. It's kind of like. <laughs> what is uh, the polar plunge? It's like, I got an yes. idea. <laughs> I got a, uh, it'll be a cologne and it smells like the beach or the ocean. Yeah, exactly. Well, so we just wanted to welcome you there and you kind of just kind of rolled right into it. So it was perfect, you know, getting to know you a little bit. Uh, you brought up that you grew up in Florida, you know, a portion of your life. Uh, and I was actually just thinking about this. So you guys met for the first time last year when we were in uh, Minnesota, right? We were in Minneapolis for VCon. Casey, you were going up to uh, uh, what? Do you, what's, what's that nature spot out there? Just up you in guys, the lakes. Me and Ryan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ryan and I. So we're all going to Minnesota at the same time, Minneapolis specifically, but for like polar things. Like I'm going to escape anything related to the internet whatsoever and all of technological connection with fires and fishing poles basically <laughs> to the boundary waters which is this boundary i would say waters. probably the u.s's most second to like establishment of parks in general by by tr i would say that it's the biggest one of the greatest conservation feats that the federal government has ever done because it's a uh, federally regulated and kind of protected area that's sanctioned off it's like a million acres right in the corner of um the northeast corner of minnesota butting up against lake superior and and canada basically um for geographic orientation and it's all just canoeing and um kayaking i guess too and all these glacial lakes that you kind of portage through and use these old routes that are used by indians and then fur traders and now just people that want to be outdoorsy for a while. So you go out there for a week or two, um, just be disgusting. And best time to do it is like right when the ice lets out. So you got fewer mosquitoes and tons of hungry fish 
and it just makes for a sweet getaway. And then there's another million acres on the Canadian side, so it's just a very isolated place for not being that inaccessible for the U.S. And then a lot of people do like uh, dog sledding in the winter time, but it's like no motorized anything for the vast majority of it, so it's very peaceful. And you'll hear every once in a while this this rough grouse, which is a, a kind of chicken of the woods sort that's of what i was going to say you sent a video of some bird just like cacawing like doing yeah, this it, weird it, little it dance does, it does this it gets its thumping log and it'll go out there it's like <laughs> a mating dance thing and you'll hear and they told me the first time i went up there they're like there's no motorized stuff a lot up here and i just kept hearing this like vroom, 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 like this four-wheeler starting up in the woods and i was like that's not a little motorized to me and they're like no that's yeah. like a bird out there just and you could walk up to them they're so distracted by the the mating game that you can just walk like right up to the bird and he's just out there flapping his wings a thousand times a minute or whatever it is where it sounds like an it is crazy yeah and and just to tie this all back in he it honestly looked like a freaking pokemon like it could have been a pokemon in the wild for it is a pokemon that was one of the original (laughs) ones the little known history they based most of pokemon off the rough grouse look it up you can google that Hey, yeah. Ryan, make sure to put that on Google real quick before this episode here. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk to the Wikipedia guy. Yeah. But... Get our data guy on there. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's busy calling Matthew McConaughey right now, but... Oh, um, okay, yeah. Whenever he gets, when he frees up, I'll look for that number, too, if I remember. I just realized we never even mentioned the fact that you're on here, uh, and, you know, part of the reason why we brought you on is because of your... your uh, you're a cop now. My question was... Did you always want to be a cop when you were growing up? No, and I guess that's an obvious answer given the whole podcast. Like the oh yeah, grew up in a small town, love my small town. I want to clean up the streets in the small town. Take uh, a, take, situations. Yeah, take a pause real quick so I can get off the road so it's not you know, all this background noise. All right, pause. I know the uh, the editing team out in Vegas is going to be pissed. I got more yeah. work to do, but. Right, they're uh, they're more focused on uh, opening day, preseason. I'm excited about having some sports again. I know baseball's going on, but I just I didn't play it like you guys did. I think Ryan, did you play baseball? Not a young age, not yeah. Not too high, but, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't go beyond basically pitching machine or one year alive pitch or something. <laughs> so it's not. <laughs> did you, you got? And there's no. There's there's only a minor league team in our city so it's not like as big an attachment which are they're affiliated with the um pirates right now pirates of pittsburgh <clears throat> what yeah. happened did you get you got hit by pitch and you're like i don't think i like this <laughs> yeah no i didn't yeah i was like afraid of the ball basically and it's like uh no thanks the jugs balls were just too much and jugs okay. slapped right at, yeah never mind it's a family-friendly podcast <laughs> takes a man to admit that you're afraid of the baseball, you know. I would go up there and still pretend like, oh, yeah, I'm not scared. Like, 80 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour coming in. That, that's no big deal. But God, uh, if I look I, back... My ribs would break. I'm not that put together. <laughs> yeah. If I look back on it now, I could say there were times where I was definitely afraid of a 90-mile-an-hour fastball coming at me. Yeah, well, at least you got, like, 30 miles an hour more than I was dealing with. <laughs> Simulating. Simulating. Um... But anyways, there's laws that protect, you know, where there's violence or, uh, you know, victims that could you know, have a risk of their, their life versus if there's a situation where there's 
I don't, I don't know if there's a really a true victimless crime, but uh, where someone chooses not to press charges, you know, the cops more or less have a option or decision to make whether they will, you know, arrest this person or, you know, today's a great day. Let's fuck this guy's, uh, let's fuck it up for him. Well, think about it this way. It's not even so much victimless versus not because the battery, for instance, you still have a victim. Um, you were in domestic battery. It's just the relationships all you're looking at. And then like with the, with the DUI or an OVWI operating while vehicle while intoxicated, same thing. It's, there is no victim necessarily if the person hasn't wrecked into anybody. So it doesn't come down to the victim so much as just a societal uh, tolerance or risk sort of thing. So it's like with the domestic violence thing, it's such a rampant problem that this is more like, it's more like legislators saying, hey, and the department saying, hey, this is such a, an ongoing and widespread and egregious problem. And a lot of times we don't have a victim who's willing to cooperate either because they're afraid of retaliation or because emotions start to set in or whatever the reason might be, or they're just used to it or they're afraid of being alone. A lot of that we say as a society have generally said, yes, this is, you know, a battery is all it is. But this is such a problem that we're going to just say this is a mandatory, somebody's going to jail for it, and then we're going to sort out the details later. And unfortunately, the reality is that a lot of times victims never show up to court, so the cases don't go anywhere anyway. But maybe there is some small punishment in just the annoyance of the whole process um, regardless. And, you know, it shouldn't, person's innocent, person's guilty, but a lot of times it's it's fairly clear on these. And with like the, the OVWI thing, the, the drinking and driving thing, it's the same sort of thing where drunk driving and, and the safety risk that it poses is high enough that um, it just has become a mandated thing, even if there is no victim yet necessarily. The irony is that these investigations like OVWI take like three to four hours, which is like a third or half your shift basically. And a lot of times it's just for a misdemeanor offense, which is fairly can be fairly low level um, and it kind of speaks to my guesstimation on that is that it speaks to the fact that everybody knows somebody or has been involved in a drunk driving situation so even legislators are like yes we're going to take this seriously but like the punishment isn't going to be all that serious honestly because <laughs> people are going to dislike us too much that goes into the de decision making somewhat that <clears throat> let's not you know stir up the crowd because it would be a you know bad PR. Uh, I mean, is that not politics? And are they not politicians? You make a good case. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you kind of went into the, you trying to get elected again. Having yeah, a job good point. Is, is more beneficial than not having one a lot of times. Except yeah. you can make you know depending on what your job is today. I guess post COVID, we're seeing a lot of uh, contrast to that perspective. Yeah. You've kind of got into the weeds too of the the legal interpretation about it, um, and so I guess one thing we'll get into at some point is you're actually you've you've taken the bar, you've passed the bar, and you were were you a practicing lawyer? How does that even work? Yeah, so go to law school. Most states it's mandatory you go to law school and then um, sit for the bar. It's not all like catch me if you can. Um, I think Wisconsin, <laughs> you can still do that. Um, Hold on, let's take, we're taking a, a potty break. This, this shit sponsored yeah, you, by... You were Wiley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
anyway, bringing it back, you um, so you went to law school. You were a practicing attorney. Does that help you with your interpretation of the law as a cop? Allegedly. Or do you like to think? Um, do you like to think it does? It makes you feel a little. No, I don't. A little think bit uh, more knowledgeable. Other people like to think it does, which is a great like accidental marketing tool. That's basically what it comes down to. So like, um, I worked in civil law. Hardly did anything criminal related at all. Go ahead. Um, talking other other dog walkers here. Um, hardly did anything criminal law related at all. Basically, rememberized the criminal law necessary stuff for classes and for um, bar passage. And then it was kind of in one ear and out the other sort of thing. And then, of course, you, pass. Know, you end up making a career in, in criminal law. But it's useful for the fact of, or I find it useful and accidentally for the fact of people think when you're an attorney that you are smart. And I'll, I make the argument that you realize that I went to law school, became an attorney, a practicing attorney, and undermined the whole career and went in a completely or somewhat completely different direction where you high school diploma to qualify. Um, so, you know, your interpretation, you can that is smart or not. Um, but it gives well. credibility. Like, can stick with something, at least this person can at least apply themselves. And so it's led to kind of neat opportunities, including um, teaching new recruits out of the academy most recently for the last few classes. So that's been kind of a cool, cool, unexpected path within policing. It's kind of yeah, a healthy so benefits you. on the streets all the time. It's still, I'm still working the streets, so I still have like the direct relatable stories to kind of color it. It's somewhat archaic at times and or just dry language of law and putting some with it um, through work application for recruits to kind of make it a but at the same time, it kind of gives a reprieve from the streets too, which is, I would argue, good for mental health. I feel like going yeah. to law school definitely helps more than it doesn't, like in, when it comes to being a cop. It helps more than. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't for I mean, it's day. Yeah. Yeah. education that's not being directly applied, but I would say, you know, as with a history degree, as all cops, you know, pretty traditional out there. Um, it's a useful thing, maybe not exactly applicable to like a resume standpoint, but very applicable just to relating to people and understand, understanding at least the history behind why they might be in the situation they're in today. They're individually. Is that, that comes from your history degree you're saying? When you study I would say that comes old from civil war maps. Which is just general curiosity about why are the way they are who lives where who yeah. does what who has money who doesn't sort of thing yeah so yeah, I mean. see, sorry i'm just gonna jump into this I, I can't get this off my mind so you mentioned that there was a you had a murder scene like yesterday and then you cut out of the of the podcast and then we have here uh like the list of all your runs hey, brother coming in and shutting down your podcast <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't tell them about that yeah the reason of the it's an ongoing investigation. We're sorry this podcast is closed. We have a list of like the runs you went on, I guess, the other day. Um, and I don't know if you want to tap into it or tell us what you can or what what you're allowed to tell us, and just kind of because like that'd be an interesting thing to hear about like your day to day, I guess. Well, let's say this: you basically said 
pay or jeopardize an investigation because uh, everything. The strange part about this job is it's a publicly facing job at all times. So like whether you like to or not, and a lot of times cops are very stereotypically here. Cops are very private individuals, like not excited about like being on the news or in front of a camera or whatever it is. And the irony is that you're wearing a camera that's recording everything you're doing throughout most of the day and you're facing an internet. You're like the public face of, of which is um, the most kind of actual in-person government interaction most people get. And on especially on a daily basis, so good irony there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I he's talking about your run list. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's talking about your run list, though. You texted me a couple days ago, <clears throat> telling me that you know you were just halfway through your shift, and this is your run list so far. You had a shooting, a stabbing, a domestic arrest, federal mail fraud complaint, threats to kill a former employer, DOA is that death on arrival, uh, crash with a flipped yeah. SUV and a person was entrapped. And this is all just in half of your, your shift. That is insane. Like that's not a sustainable for anybody involved. That's not a sustainable model of function functionality. I mean, no. that's the reality of at least Indianapolis. And I would argue a lot of big city policing is that you're taking versus a small town where you might take or even a medium-sized town where you might take three to five runs a day, you're taking 20 to 30 runs, especially in the summer, a little bit, but still pretty high, um, per day. And that's if you don't get some major scene that, that by just by the length of time it takes to, it cuts down on that run load a little bit. Even for being normally busy. Kind of extra added on there, and those are all investigations, or a lot of those investigations that take a little time too. So that has any perspective to it too. It's literally on those days you're going run to run. There's no break in between. You're just when you free up from one, you're relieving somebody who's coming to cover for you while you're busy in your spot. Um, so they're probably coming from another another zone to cover for you. So they're coming from a distance. Then you're kind of taking over your run again. So it's just those days are they fly by. But it is constant. the The downfall is that response times are slower for general public, and you've got um, emotionally or or and physically, uh, mentally drained officers that are responding to these things. So the the depth of investigation isn't as good from that angle. Um, the patience isn't as good, which can lead to uh, stuff you don't want to happen between cops and and um, citizens. And so it kind of leads down. A, a rough path and we're seeing more and more of that where these interactions can get tense just by the fact of everybody being hot and bothered kind of sort of thing and exhausted but the depth of investigation you know when you're trying to rush from one run to the next it suffers there too and so we see a lot of this less complete work just by necessity of getting um on scene to something and there, it's kind of this balance between taking your runs and covering your area, but at the same time doing a solid investigation and wrapping things up. So, yeah, but, but I mean, and like murder, or like yesterday, for instance, we had this murder that ended up taking most of the shift for a lot of officers, and I was on it for a long time, and it's like, of course, 180 degree humidity, 80% humidity or something insane all day, so you're just sweating. The family that's showing up for the victim is agitated. Uh, 
people are agitating them on purpose and then they're coming into the crime scene to try to see their hug or whoever the the deceased and it just becomes a whole big thing because then you're potentially talking criminal charges for people that are already having a rough time the emotions are all high so it's just a and plus all the other runs that they don't stop just because one major thing happens. So you've got a lot of people coming down and covering other events um, as you're trying to wrap up your own investigation or just hold the scene down. So can we uh, tie this into sports? Would you say that uh, you guys uh, as a as a precinct, if that's the right terminology, uh, I've watched too much, too much of too many movies, but Appreciate you, you get, same thing. Ah, yeah, ah, perfect. Yeah, it's close. Um, yeah. Do you guys play zone defense or man to man? We we just play <laughs> neither. It's just it's just constant <laughs> running. It's just pra- it's just the practice part of it's just the punishment part of practice where you're running the whole time. That's what we're playing. Nice. So you got to be in shape. Yes. Actual <laughs> actual running. Yeah. Yes or no. Either Com- way, they'll take you. Just have a pulse the, again. Yeah. So there are still the coffee and donut cops out there. Oh my God. That's there's a lot of stereotypes about people in careers, and that is not that is one, and it is wholly true. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, though, a lot of times so cops switch, said that. switch to energy master. drinks. Like they're like coffee isn't yeah. enough. I'm like, I'm like all black coffee all day. And a lot of people are like, no, I need like, instead of 60 milligrams of caffeine, I'm talking 600. Like, well, I don't want my heart to explode. So I'm going to just stick to my coffee. Yeah. Yeah. You said you're already on your second cup and uh, as if there's like eight more coming. God, I wish. <laughs> Talk about an addict. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Hey, it's better than, it's better than some addiction. I'll say that much. Yeah. But uh, something that we also all have in common here is we like sports. We like uh, you know college sports. Uh, I wore this hat specifically, uh, a because I fucking love it. Uh, I just got it the other day. But two reasons: it's the Hurricanes. And for you, I really just wanted to remind you that uh, we beat you guys uh, in March Madness this year. Are they still Didn't they? I think they, they were in there. Ba- they- we're all about basketball now, baby. There's some analysis about them cheating. Elite Eight, Final Four, come on, let's go. Yeah, my Hoosiers, uh, they're, they like to, we like to think they're relevant when in reality, I think there's some like independent look at like which teams are where over the last however many years. And it basically, IU is like on par with like, um, it's either UAB or like, like uh, UVLA or UL, what the hell is the one out in Vegas? UNLV. UNLV, thank you. Yeah, too many acronyms in government. They all get... (laughs) OWBI. Yeah, exactly. OVWI. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they're, like, on par with them, and that's kind of laughable. It's not to insult them so much as my own team, but it's like, you know, we got this five banners and all this history with... uh, Big Ten used to be... Great players. But in reality, they haven't been relevant, basically. It's I mean, Zeller and Oladipo days were good, but they really haven't even been relevant in, like, 40 years. They got a solid squad this year. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah, well, I remember don't while you, you were there. Don't underestimate our our ability to undermine a season. Yeah. Well, I remember Tom Crean was doing, you know, for a while he had a few good seasons. 
He's yeah. Well, they, I mean, that was like the Zeller Aldiva were kind of the pinnacle. He was good at bringing them out of the, like the lowest funk of in history. I think we had like six wins one year, the year before I started college, and then kind of brought us out of that. Had a big win against number one Kentucky, which was a lot of fun because that was at the time still a rivalry. Um, and then they basically Kentucky's like, we don't like our players getting trampled after a game. We're not going to do this anymore. I'm sure it's more than that, probably financial, but yeah. that was what it appeared to be at the time but yeah crean was i think he's forever the best assistant coach or recruiter great energy not so much great closing out of games with gameplay with uh game calls yeah that's you need that in those clutch situations especially college basketball yeah with the restructuring of all these um divisions and everything you kind of do see a lot more that these are financial you know, juggernauts. They're, they're all here to make money. They may um, as well just rebrand it from college football to just like, <laughs> I don't know, whatever the term. The hedge fund term. of, of yeah, post. Yeah, that too. That too. Post. But like the next level, it's just like the, the minor league for the NFL, basically. Just call it that for some of these, like the SEC, basically. You know, Pretty much. Much I hate to admit it, they are no match for like, IU is in, Hoosiers are in the Big Ten, and they have not done anything in basically um, <laughs> the whole existence of the team. You can go back to the 90s, there were some, some moments of pride, but aside from that, it's been a whole irrelevance for a team that should have some, uh, some gusto at some point in time. You're talking football? Football. Yeah. Well, what I can say is uh, when I visited you on campus one time, we went to the stadium there and I kicked, I don't know, maybe a 30 yard field goal. It was like a, a straight line. So like definitely wasn't, you know, college level, but so what you're saying is I probably could have made the team. Yes, definitely could have. Absolutely. Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, also I wanted to talk about uh, the Swamp Kings. Did you guys watch that yet? Yes. That. No, I saw that on there and it piqued my interest. Yeah, but I've been I've been it's, watching. The only thing I've been watching is the quarterback one, which has been pretty cool. That was pretty good. We talked about that one on the last episode here. I got distracted recently. There's this other platform I'll check out. A lot of times, writing um, takes up free time, and just having a kid takes up most of that in a good way. But like writing has been my release sort of thing writing a book specifically and so tv time takes a back burner which i'd say is probably a healthy thing but i'll, I'll check out this yeah. one streaming platform called curiosity stream a lot of times it's more like a nerdy version of netflix with a lot of one-off stuff but there's this thing on there that's like about the fascination of new zealand and i've just been obsessed with it lately because it's like the place that's the size geographically of colorado in terms of land mass i guess but it's got essentially every ecosystem you can think of on those couple islands um and they're big into hunting which is a big thing that i love doing too and it, any place where you shoot the lord of the rings you know it's got to be good <laughs> what do they call it like the asiatic south south pacific something yeah i mean they're that region the kiwis down there yeah yeah but uh, so on Swamp Kings, Ryan, I don't know what you thought about it. Uh, I was, it was actually a pretty awesome story. Uh, being a 
diehard uh, Florida Gators hater. Um, I was I enjoyed it, but uh, I thought it, it was like it was more like a a story about Urban Meyer rather than uh, the full like like I mean there was a little bit a lot of it was about Tim Tebow also, but they kind of well, the story I don't know. They say in the little blurb like they blatantly say it's mainly about Urban Meyer. Yeah, yeah well, I didn't read that. I think you know. I think the biggest thing that so like being a Florida Gator fan like all my life. Um, I remember those those times pretty well. Obviously, been the best times of that I've been alive of Florida Gator football. Um, there, there was a lot going on, obviously, at that time, and they they briefly touched here and there. But I mean, there was guys um, that didn't get named that had some pretty crazy stories that I I could only guess had like legal like legal reasons that they weren't allowed to be talked about or just didn't want to be talked about. Um, I mean, between like Aaron Hernandez and like Tim Tebow, those are the most like polar opposite people out there. Um, and they had every guy in between there. Forgot he was on that team. You know he yeah. was crazy shit back then. If you mm-hmm. the way it well, that's was. what I wanted to hear about. So there, there was there was an alleged an alleged bar fight where it was just Tebow and Hernandez out. Um, it was always alleged like there was <clears throat> it seemed relatively true, and then Tebow confirmed it that they did happen and that um, they were out together and they did get in a fight. Not them two, but. They got in a fight with some other people, but they didn't go in like a minute about that. And they, they got away from it. That was kind of a lot of things. Like there's a few guys like Riley Cooper and Jeff Dems who didn't didn't get a single word spoken about them, and they were pretty impactful for that team uh, that won those championships. So I think there's a lot of like legal issues that left out a lot of stuff that could be really good. But for uh, like a common fan, I guess a common college football fan. Um, it really tied in kind of that timeline of Florida football at the time, like what was like going down, I guess, from 05 to 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So just being a, you know, a fan, like it was really cool to see that story, you know, put together in a timeline. Um, but I definitely wanted to hear more about Aaron Hernandez, especially after that Aaron Hernandez documentary. It's like, we got to hear more about this, but it wasn't, you know, specific to Hernandez, I guess. Yeah. It, there's a, this guy posted this thing on, I guess, X now. Um, and he just he put missing storylines. It was like Cam Newton, uh, this guy named Carlos Dunlap, he had a DUI, Ann Hernandez, the Pouncey Twins, Urban Meyer had a heart attack during this time, um, Zach Smith, Riley Cooper, Urban's, Urban Meyer's family and stuff in, in Gainesville, and then like what happened to Florida football post-Tebow. I mean, they talked about it so much, but this is kind of like left out a lot of like crucial information to what happened to the program around that time. So like me knowing Florida football, like I know most of the storylines and was hoping to hear things that I didn't know, but they didn't even touch on these things. So I, I, if I had to guess, it's a lot of legal issues for these guys that they just don't want um, some stuff to be spread to light and just stuff like that. Those damn yeah. lawyers. <laughs> Need more cops out there. They made that they made that Johnny Manziel one uh, that dropped, I guess, like a week before before the, the Swamp Kings one did. I don't know if you guys got to watch that one yet, but that mm-hmm. one's pretty interesting. I watched that. They give a lot of – that one's probably more, like, I guess it's specific on him, so it's easier, but they do a lot of stuff that, like, no one really, really knew about or stuff like that. I almost, like, I'm uninterested yeah. in watching that one just because be there's so, like, so much about Manziel – or has been, it's all faded away now, but it was like, there's so much almost to an annoying extent hype about him based on 
it felt like not that much and like all these expectations and it just kind of all flopped. So I was like, that's I not feel really like, all that interesting. I feel like this would be perfect for you that explains like he, how he had to deal with that and how he, like, I mean, just like there was hype and there was like a lot of talk about him and he didn't live up to the expectations, but he talks about like his struggles through that and what he had to deal with throughout those years of playing at AM and then his couple years in the NFL. I think it'd actually be kind of like a good filler for you, a little perspective switch up. I'm convinced. I think you have me there. Yeah. I can uh, I can echo that. It was good. You anyway. <laughs> I'm a Florida Gator fan, and I would argue that the Manziel little hour documentary, whatever it was, was probably more uh, entertaining and better than the Florida one was. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it was you know that one's about a single person versus the Swamp Kings is you know it's actually four episodes, but but it's the whole pro yeah the whole program so many people involved that you know you can only get snapshots of and then deeper stories about one or two other people. Right. But Manzel, you know, the whole thing with him was like, and maybe why it was a flop, or at least what I'm you know trying to interpret right now uh, is that he wasn't there to play football. He liked football. He was really good at football. But he was always out there trying to get to the next party. Like yeah. he was like, "All right, let's win this big game because we're gonna have an epic party yeah, after, after this." Yeah, he said, he like, I, I, try, "I don't play football to be good at football. I play football, or I'm, I play, I try to be good at football so I can party later." Yeah, and I think that's what you know. If you can look back on, it, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, he's not, he's not Aaron Rodgers caliber. He's not, uh, you know, Tom Brady caliber. Maybe if he had, you know, the right uh, head. Uh, right mind space you know maybe he could have gone through the right training and had the right regimen and been great or at least very good uh but i think the reason why he didn't you know have great success afterwards is he just he wasn't there to play football no that, yeah, that's, that's what the show showed they showed that he like watched like zero minutes of film and <laughs> stuff like that so definitely wasn't built to be great but he had the natural ability yeah Hey, this would be a good time to stop. I'm trying to be cognizant of your time, Casey. I know you got to uh, get rolling here, but we have a lot more topics to touch on, so hopefully we'll get you back. <laughs> I'm, not sure, and, uh, I'm not sure we touched on anything relevant to the podcast, <laughs> yeah. but we sure did talk for an hour. <laughs> yeah, it was uncharted, you know? We just kind of went around, you know, relatively speaking. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll get you back on and, and dig a little more, um, and we definitely have to hear about, you know, how did you end up as a cop? We got a little bit of it, but we really want to get a, a lot more about it. So, and um, you know, also you're an aspiring author, uh, you're a new father, so we have a few things to talk about. Uh, you know, looking back on on life, you know, there's I'll about this book at some point. Yeah, it's this, written. This... The problem is, there's this line I think is a Mark Twain line, which is basically, I would have written less, I just didn't have enough time, and I understand <laughs> that fully as an aspiring author because it's like especially in this role where i'm like essentially translating police stories into um not only kind of enlightening pieces for people to see like what's the day-to-day -day look like but also like make them relatable to people and just shine some perspective on society as a whole kind of related to um a deeper dive than just entertaining stories but they just keep coming out and it's just constant and the stuff that comes out amazes me. But so much of it is like, I've already written something similar to that. I just have to cast it aside or it doesn't amaze me anymore because I've seen so much of the same ridiculous stuff that it's like, 
am I cutting too much where it's like, this is, I'm numb to this now, but other people will be like, what in the hell is going on there? Um, right. so it's kind of a sense. weird thing, but yeah, I mean, it's basically how I talk is how I write. And so you can imagine the level of condensing that needs to go into that after the <laughs> verbal vomit. You like to give a lot of background. There's a lot of tangents. Eventually we get back to the same spot, but if you want yeah. a story, it's going to have eight packed in the middle. Yeah. And there's Pokemon in there too. So Somewhere. yeah. All right, man. Uh, thanks for your time today. Uh, we'll get you back on. We'll finish this up. Uh, we have a lot more of your story to hear. So uh, thank you. And uh, you know, be careful out there on those runs. Yeah. Hold on. Start that over in three, two, one, go. Wait, which part? The alcoholism or the intervention? Yes. <laughs> Good, right. to have you. Good to Welcome have you, to your intervention. What are we talking about first? Uh, we're probably going to talk about his career, uh, though he's just said that he's recently changing it. Uh, he's going to be a baker now. That's, yeah, that's right. This is a baking podcast. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> to baking with three guys. Yeah. <laughs> we're knocking those stereotypes down and rolling our Building pins. Right back up again. Yeah. <laughs> Starting from scratch. Hi-oh. Um, <clears throat> making galettes, which is like a... French pastry, but I'm making the savory version. That's lovely. I love the garden uh, like tomatoes a... and goat cheese, and this is brie, but the other ones are goat cheese. I knew a brie. The camera angle is awesome. It's just like it's like a lower half of, of Casey with no head, and people have to guess what he looks like. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like cow and chicken. Do you remember that show at all? Yeah, the parents. <laughs> yeah, the parents were just pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like I guess the idea was like viewing it from the perspective of how kids see parents they're just like oh this is what sense. I'm looking up at all the time go on you have my attention there he is so what's your f- name of your bakery Casey uh, Casey's Cookies and More this is the more part of course oh well you know if, if this were in Europe you know that very well could be considered like a cookie because you know, only in America do we consider like chocolate chip cookies, cookies. Yeah, but aren't they still sweet? Uh, aren't they like baked goods? Baked goods are just cookies. I think biscuits is what you're confusing. That's right. That's what I said. Biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you just say that only chocolate chip cookies are considered cookies? <laughs> no, nah, that was just an example. You know, when you think of cookie, you think of chocolate chip cookie. This is an example of what's not the case, is what he was getting at. Yeah. The answer is those. biscuit. Have you thought about getting um, Taylor Swift or Travis Kelsey on here? Yeah, we're... Last week we were trying to get yes. Matthew McConaughey on here. Yeah, we're waiting for both of them to be available, which is just... Together, little, yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah, a little, little tough. I've got commitment from both. Um, just, you know, now that they're dating, it's almost impossible to get them in the same room together at the same time. Wouldn't that be very possible? Wouldn't that lead to them doing that more often? You'd think. But not, but more so behind closed doors. Right, yeah. You just don't get to see it. I see. They got to make sure that their outfits are matching. Speak for yourself. I've been invited over to their private sessions many times. (laughs) When you didn't tell us? Like you couldn't extend the invite? Yeah, no, you're not going to. 
No. Yeah, it's enough said. Was it for Casey's Cookies and More? Yeah, of course. It was a catering event. Sure. <laughs> they have their lovemaking sessions catered, as most celebrities do, I've found. I've, I've found. That's why I have a job. That's why That's why I started the Casey's Cooking Creations Catering More business, which is the name of it. Yeah, it's it's expanded. You all got to find your calling, your passion, you know? Yeah. And mine's catering to those making love. Some would call that hitch. And some would call it obscene. <laughs> some would call that invading. Invades. <laughs> so anyway. All right. What does that have to do with careers. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back. We have Casey from Casey's Cooking, Catering, uh, Galore, and more. And uh, I'm Nick. Actually, he couldn't join the story, right. so it's just going to be Casey the cop. Um, I'm filling in for him, so I'm sorry about that, but that's all we could get. This time, we want to get into the career portion uh, because, you know, by all means, uh, I'd say that, that your journey to where you ended up now is a little bit off, uh, you know, a, a straight path of getting there directly how maybe the standard method is. So what you're telling me is that no. most cops don't approach the career after having been lawyer in leading community development groups? Correct. Well, that's news to me. <laughs> Nobody told you you couldn't do it that way? Well, no, I just didn't realize everybody else wasn't doing it that way. So, I was under the impression that was the, that was the route to do that. Yeah, but... By everything that you've seen in the in the news and what people tell you, that was the path to take. Yeah, and so now I'm I'm starting to second guess a lot of things. Now that I've opened your eyes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Maybe you should actually go into baking. You kind of touched on the fact that you went to school and you got your degree in something that isn't the traditionary traditional path that takes you into being a cop. So. Could you kind of like tell us about what you did for school? Yeah, most people I don't think go to a public university. Well, most people don't go to a public university to major in history regardless because your path in life then is either unemployed or history teacher or lawyer. So I took the more profitable one with lawyer and ended up pursuing that career basically until I was done with school. And then uh, that's not a super profitable way to go the profitable route is to then undermine that career a few years after you start it. Everything you learned in school told you otherwise? Yeah, that's right. Um, So law school and then did that thing in civil law for a while, not even criminal law, and then went into um, community development, which is kind of reinvigorating in an equitable way your voices within a community um struggling inner city spots so how long did uh how long was your school how long were you in school for seven years seven years and that's the traditional route to uh become a lawyer if you you know check off all the boxes pass the bar yeah that was the other thing is it was a professional school it wasn't 12 years like is like the very bare minimum for medical anything basically 
So that was encouraging. And at the same time, I knew if I didn't go finish school at the time, like a graduate school of some sort, I wouldn't come back most likely. Um, and I still believe that's the case. So despite not directly using the law degree, I'm still glad to have done it for the sake of getting that professional degree to use at some point when I grow up down the road. <laughs> it's hard to grow up. It's hard to what, make that decision. What you, it what, is. Uh, it's it's, found, it's like an actual, like it, it's a conscious decision. I've realized for sure. It's not an age you reach by any stretch. I was asking what schools he attended when he was in college. IU in Bloomington for undergrad, and then IU Law School in Indy for grad for law school. So you're a Hoosier for life, all the way through and through. Oh yeah, yeah. The second one, easily the best law school in Indianapolis. There you go. By a good margin. So you picked uh, you picked the right schools. Yeah. You did everything that you you know that you wanted to do. And then you decided that, uh, well, so your career started, right? You got your, you passed the bar, um, you know, you graduated from school, passed the bar, ended up in a civil law and firm. And that, that is something I would highly recommend no one ever doing is taking a bar exam. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that should be like an award. I mean, it is, I guess you get a, a legal career out of it, but like that is, <laughs> that's like a gauntlet. So it's like study, like three years of doing school and then you go study for two months straight like 10 hours a day as if it were a job and then go take a two day long exam that determines basically the rest of your career or not. But you knocked it out of the park. You passed. I, I would say passed. I, I deliberately didn't look. They, they gave us the option where you could pay like 20 bucks or something to go find out what your score was. And I was like, thank you. Cause I'm going to end up finding out that you guys made a clerical error <laughs> and I'm just going to be satisfied with the, the, the note that said I passed. Yeah. I'm going to save the 20 bucks. Yeah, knocking out of the park might be a stretch. <laughs> Could you imagine? You, uh, they actually do make a clerical error. They give you the passing grade, and then you pay to see where your score was, and they find out, like, oh, wait a minute. We, we made a mistake. Exactly. We got to take your test. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got to take it back. Yeah. No, I could. I, yes, I could imagine that, and so that's why I avoided that situation. <laughs> could and did imagine. Yeah. Nice, man. So did you have something lined up as soon as you graduated, or what's what's the process after that? So I was already working um, in a law firm, and so I just continued working there. My, my role really didn't change much. I just had JD behind my name instead of nothing. Nice. So... Adding but letters to the end super, of your title. What's that? I said adding letters to the end of your title. Big change. Yeah. You pay yeah. all that money for that. That's all you do is you pay money to just change your part, you know, whatever. You just get stuff to follow your family name. That's the only reason that people actually go to graduate schools. Because <laughs> they're unsatisfied with their family name. They're not prepared to marry yet. And so instead they decide that they'll just change their name in this, in this way. It's more expensive. takes some time. But... In the end, the result still happens. Now, is that an honest uh, opinion of yours, or yes, uh, cops Absolutely. can't lie, so that <laughs> they would never lie. No, actually, <laughs> legally, you can. It just you can't lie about like things that you can't like make promises to people that you can't fulfill. Like if I were 
trying to get somebody to tell me something, I couldn't be like, well, get the prosecutor to drop these charges. Or like, if it's something that I actually physically have no control over or like would materially affect a case, I can't say that. But if I'm like, like last night we had a lady stealing from the Meyer store down the street. And for whatever reason, instead of fleeing, like most shoplifters do, she decided to crawl into the back of her um, Ford or Chevy Express van. Like one of those big painter vans always have 12 ladders on top and just like bunker down in there. And so we had her like hold up in her own thing, in her own vehicle. And so it's like, knock on the car. Uh, Hello. Nobody's yeah, we here. Like, <laughs> legally speaking, she is in a mobile vehicle that I have, I have probable cause to believe contains evidence of a, of a crime. And so I have the ability to get in there, but the problem was per our policy, um, I can't break her doors. Supreme Court says I can, but our policy is more restrictive, so I can't without a warrant. So I'm like telling her, like, "Hey, I'm gonna go get a warrant. Like, just hang out in there, I guess." And then this other dude started like saying, "Like, we got SWAT on the way and all this other stuff." And um, what over, else? Over, it's like we got like we got like seven officers out here, and we had like we had four or something, so it wasn't that far off. But like little lies that he was giving, they're not significant enough to where it like alter something case-wise but there's nothing illegal about him like trying to encourage her to comply in that sort of way yeah she did come out on her own and she had like stolen a thing of donuts and i was like what are you doing and then we ran her and found out she had a bunch of warrants yeah. and i was like that's what you're doing yeah just yeah, that's why she's hiding yeah but she was like no i was just scared i was like i don't believe you yeah so what i'm getting at is you know you can it's not necessarily stretching the truth, but I guess that might be uh, almost an exact definition, saying you have seven people in SWAT on the way when you really had four out there or whatever. But you could sort of coax them into, you know, coming to reality and, and, and realizing that this doesn't end the way that they think it's going to end, where we say, oh, you know what, never mind, got to go, you know, but, you know, don't do anything bad. All right, we'll see you yeah, next time. The difference is, like, I couldn't, lie about my legal authority so like i couldn't say like you better let me in this house or let me in this van the van i could go in anyway so that didn't make any difference but you couldn't say like you better let me in this house um or or because i have a search warrant or something like that um i'm coming in anyway and if i don't right if i'm like i can i can say something like you better let this in this house or this van or whatever it is or i'm gonna go apply for a search warrant like that's a statement of fact like that's okay to do it's just a matter of like if i'm lying about my legal authority like of what can happen in a case or like what i can actually do then then we're stretching it but like yeah i mean we could have potentially have gotten swat up there so i would say we wouldn't have for a minor offense but like um because she was barricaded in there so like by the book that's something that could feasibly happen so it wasn't exactly a, a lie i think it was but you know legally speaking yeah, well, and sticking with stereotypes, you know, she stole a box of donuts, and cops need their donuts. No wonder you so... want to get in there so bad. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I got a big nose, and I can smell those donuts. I wasn't even, I wasn't even dispatched on that one. I just knew that they would need help. I just, I, I, I smelled it. Yeah. I was on the other side of town. <laughs> but, uh, so would the legal terminology of that be where you, the line that you have to kind of, balance uh or be careful not to cross is is entrapment if you said i have a warrant when you don't um 
Well, I guess that wouldn't be entrapment because you're not convincing her to do anything illegal at that point. But <clears throat> yeah, entrapment's more like yeah, like the officer um, convincing somebody to do something, like doing something illegal at my behest. Yeah, that's more like setting somebody up for something. Setting somebody up would be more like entrapment. So I don't think it would quite be that. It's just an, ex- an extension of my authority that I don't have. So it might be enough to like get the case. You have to look at other case law. That's kind of what these are all based on. But it might be enough to like throw get the case or the evidence suppressed because it, we came about it from the fruit of the poisonous tree. They call it, which is like basically you did something that led to something, and so now that stuff's out because we don't want this to be a precedent going forward. Got it. So it like risks ruining your your case. Yeah. Avoid. Yeah. So you can lie, but you can't lie. It's like it's like relationship. Um, nice. So that's like that's a an interesting story, and and I know that you have a handful, if not dozens to hundreds of crazier stories than that. I mean, this is just about donuts that she took from you know the local police force and prevented them from getting their daily fix. But um, <clears throat> let's get back to the fact that you just started working for a civil law for, firm. Uh, how long were you doing that for before you realized, uh, or actually, answer, how long were you doing that for? And then follow up question is, you know, after a period of time, did you realize that that wasn't what you wanted to do or what sort of caused the change? I worked there for like three or four years, four years, maybe only like one and a half after maybe two after law school. Um, and I, it probably that last year I was like, no, I'm, done with this it just wasn't this ain't it. work it was basically like managing other people's money setting up other people's businesses and taking farmland and converting it into um like suburbia which <clears throat> i had zero passion about in fact i was like more of an advocate in the opposite direction and so ended up looking at a bunch of different um routes to go including so far as to like try to pursue this this one um, like scholarship route down in Cuba to like study the differences between their medical system and ours somehow. I don't remember how I even related. I think one of our clients at the firm was like medical focused. So I had some like terminology or legal basis for it, but like, I was looking for anything else to do. Basically it was just uninspiring where good people just wasn't connected to the work. Um, and then you just wanted to go to Cuba community development which was focused on like redeveloping old falling apart infrastructure kind of doing a lot of stuff that people see the city as having done but that city's not actually doing it it's kind of private um private groups non-profit groups linking together public and private funds and interests and then not taking a lot of credit for it and just other people kind of like a lot of meetings and a lot of other people taking credit for work but at the end of the day helping to revitalize um, in a more equitable way, some city areas. So that was like way more in line with my interests and kind of the opposite of what I was doing before. So instead of taking old land and making it into suburbia, I was kind of taking really old buildings and make and reusing those from within a structure building up and set out. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, I have a passion and a goal to invest in real estate. Um, I'm doing a little bit right now, but that's one of the things that we see is like as important is taking stuff that's already 
built and making use of it because it's not being used anymore versus taking land from someone and saying, you know, you can't have this anymore. We got to put this Starbucks here. Yeah. Yeah. You can put the Starbucks there, but just do it by employing locally and preserving the old infrastructure. Yeah. So I appreciate that take because, uh, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, working in civil law is not the right path because uh, I think the whole point of this podcast is to enlighten people who want to find their passion and I could 100% align with theirs. But this one specifically was no longer what you saw yourself um, doing for the rest of your life. So you kind of had a change of heart. And uh, I think at one point you and I were talking about you wanted to be like a, a game warden on a, on a reserve. Yeah, I went a couple of routes. So I tried to do, um, I actually tried to be a U.S. diplomat at one point in time and made it pretty far in that process. I was surprising myself, actually. But it was kind of at the at the cost of potentially undermining my whole marriage. So I'm, it was like a blessing in disguise that it didn't happen. Because my wife had zero interest in, like, moving to different, somewhat potentially hostile countries for three years since. And, like, then from everybody I talked to, basically, if your family isn't on board, like, you're screwed. And they... Another part was kind of like you only were really make friends locally or start to really get a taste of what's going on locally in like the last six months you're there. By the time you get your footing, you're kind of on the way out. So it's like a very hasty come in and figure out what's going on. And then by the time you figure it out, meet some people, you're out of their sort of lifestyle. And so I could understand her perspective. But at the same time, it sounded pretty cool to just be traveling the world on the on the U.S. dime. Um, getting paid to learn languages and culture and do kind of government admin stuff abroad with a sweet title. Um, but yeah, went out to DC for all that, had a few different, got to a few different parts of the process, which is lengthy. And usually people don't make it through the first couple times tries and then, um, ended up pursuing the, uh, love hunting and fishing. So I kind of went that the game warden or conservation officer, as it's called here route, um, and made it, pretty far in that process like i was blown away that process it's not a super deep um knowledge base or like a physical ability or anything like like they have a pretty low standard bar of of entry um and so i was blowing it out of the water and then all of a sudden i got confidence booming that route and then all of a sudden got a letter from the state saying like hey thanks for trying but you're out and usually in law enforcement and that's a law enforcement role people call it the bunny police um, but it's basically the police of the, of the, the woods and lakes. So you get to get paid to cruise around and ride four wheelers and, and boats all day long. Um, yeah. Hey, I, think you're, you're, you're I think you're covering your microphone. Oh, uh, that's, that should help. That's a little better. Yeah. So the reality of that job, like it, on paper, you get paid to like cruise around on four wheelers <laughs> and boats. But the reality of the job is like, you're like issuing tickets to people during the seasons where you want to be doing the stuff and it's pretty solo kind of lonely job honestly so you're kind of just working in tandem with a as a sheriff um but on a state level sort of thing so anyway got the decline letter from them which is surprising and they don't say why typically when there's unless um, you paid twenty dollars yeah right (laughs) if there's a decline in applicant on a law enforcement process they usually don't say why they're declining that applicant i think it's just probably a saves time and they don't have to worry about a thing so um didn't know why but i guesstimated it was between two things either either having borrowed a buddy's cousin's cop car as kids 
or um, doing some dope doobie smoking out in Colorado. And so we, I found, and it was like, you had to be like sober for clean for like two years before um, application or something like that. And this was like a, a year and 10 months or 11 months or something like that, that we had gone, actually, Nick, we had gone out um, to Breckenridge and done a, a trail marathon out there and then indulged in some doobage and some gummies afterward. And um, so they declined me and then I end up, go in the police route instead locally which is a lot better fit given the, the community development and leading a, a fitness group here in town and the law background obviously for either one but um it ended up being a better fit especially with like connections and whatnot and didn't have to move or anything like that so wife was happy about that side of things um but i got a letter about halfway through the police academy and it was the dnr the conservation officer folks saying like hey we reviewed our policy on the Colorado thing is how they phrased it. And so I was like, Oh, okay. So that's why I got nixed from it. Um, and they're like, we're going to loosen up that policy. Basically, if you want a spot, we have one for you. In that class. And I, at that point I was like, you know what? I'm doing pretty good here. Made a lot of promises to folks and myself included in this pretty good gig. So I think I'm going to stick with this for the time being. Yeah. Uh, I remember that conversation when you tell you were telling me you submitted your application and you had to list literally everything that you did that would be seen in the eyes of the law as uh, as a no no. Yeah, and uh, I think I like just like <laughs> you forgot about one thing and I brought it up. You're like, ah, damn it! Why did you have to remind oh, me? Yeah. Like, I I have to go back and send him an email and a letter. Like, I did this. Like, and I wasn't trying to hide it from you. I just. I didn't. I forgot about it. That's all. Yeah, this was uh, like that sort of application process. <laughs> too many legal activities. Yeah, <laughs> lost is, count. <laughs> is ideal for a, a forgetful person, and so I was like, "Damn it, Nick!" <laughs> now, I, now it's on my conscience. Now I'm at fault. It's weighing heavy. Myself. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, oh. plus you had to take a lie detector test, so that was an incentive to not lie too. Yeah. Yeah. After I reminded you, and they they do that, and they're like, "Is there anything else that you're not sharing?" Uh, no, no, my eyes are <laughs> sweating. <laughs> yeah, no, that whole te- that process. I don't know if either of you guys have taken a lie detector test, but it feels like you're, everything you're saying feels like you're lying. Like it would just be like your name, and you're like, oh god, I'm not found out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like I'm not. I don't understand. Like who who benefits from this? Because I would think it just eliminates everybody. Like. Everyone is just, and everybody I talked to said the same thing. They're like, they're like, yeah, I just felt like everything I was saying was a lie, even though it was just like basic identifying information or like, you know, what color is the walls in the room? Like it was just little stuff, and I'm like, I can't. Nothing seems right. Yeah. Is this eggshell or or flat white? <laughs> yeah, the <it> white. <laughs> so, yeah. So do they do they use that test? as like a as like a baseline that way like if you get the job and you end up like in some scenario where they have to test you again they can see if you're lying versus when you weren't lying like how does that test be used i think it's just an entry thing um like in in a court setting like um lie detector tests what's the term what's the the legal what's the fancy term for lie detector i wish there was a i wish there was a lawyer here to answer the question well like just the 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 other term for it, it's, it's still pretty known. I'm just blanking on polygraph. Thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, Thanks. Yeah. Lie detector, yeah. 
Um, but anyway, like polygraphs <laughs> in like, court setting don't even usually come in. It's kind of an outdated thing because um, for like it has to be basically agreed to by both parties because it's so like fraught with problems um, and can be manipulated. And so like if anybody is using a lie detector test in a court setting, the parties have already agreed to what's being asked anyway. So like if they were going to lie, they would just decline to be able to use that technology. So it's like a pointless thing from a legal standing thing. Like all it does is make the point that somebody is telling the truth. If anything, it doesn't point out lies because they would just be like, no, we're not going to do that because both, both sides have to agree to use it. So, but anyway, from, uh, from a law enforcement onboarding perspective, um, it's just a way of like fleshing out liars basically for a job that takes a lot of public trust and, um, need the veracity of folks to be forefront in the public eye. So it's just a way to, like another check to like attempt to make sure you're not full of shit and don't have some like crazy background or, or a child molester or whatever stuff they ask about. So you're basically, they're filtering out people that <clears throat> they're not going to waste any further time and resources on someone that's clearly just not, not a fit. And you know, they're yeah, it's just away. another filter. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fitness filter, which is like a very low bar, but still, this is Indiana, so you know a lot of chunker butts out there. Um, technical term, and then you've got I've heard it before the, the like a written test aspect that is pretty low bar too, and then you've got just a number of other onboarding things, administrative stuff, a background detector or de- detective that comes out, speaks to you, kind of checks your house out, how you're living, things like that. So it's pretty involved, but it's a lot of like little steps along the way. It's like a it's a half year year long process too yeah and so you mentioned also you know while you were still working in the you know prior to becoming a cop you had a lot more time on your hands um but one thing that you used to do that was i thought was always really cool is uh this little fitness group called november project um and it's this little you tell me more about it i guess uh if i'm off the mark here but it's like a non-profit group you guys would meet in the morning or set times in the day and just sort of run like a group fitness thing uh and it was just for anyone really but mostly you know although all your friends locally would come in and join and uh basically just get a workout for the day and you'd do like rocky balboa type workouts like running upstairs and everything um but you kind of ran that for a bit didn't you yeah um attended november project for like seven or eight years locally and then led it for four years and yeah you pretty well nailed it that give me one second here stay tuned it's like a approachable by anybody um and everybody free fitness group open to the general public that's just supposed to be a way to get folks active and moving in the morning without a barrier to entry mostly physically it's not a barrier to entry um it's kind of do what you want and then financially there's no cost so it's pretty sweet in that way yeah it's almost like you know those who are committed and really want to do it you know it's you're at you show up at like early early hours like 5 a.m if i don't know if that's the earliest session or whatever but you know it's it's all about it's free uh it's the the physical constraints of it are all body weight but um and then, so the only excuse is, you know, well, I just don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. and go work out, right? Sure. Yeah, um, which is an understandable excuse. After you're not leading it, that excuse becomes a lot more 
palatable. Leaving it, obviously, <laughs> they frown upon you not showing up. But, like, <laughs> it's amazing the motivation that you have when you're leading something to be there on time versus so, just participating. A responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So did that help you in any way? I mean, obviously, you got the physical reward from it, but uh, leading a group of people, you know, <clears throat> in a very hard industry, not necessarily, I guess not an industry, but a very hard, very difficult um, task, such as working out, you know, you got to get these people interested and motivated to come back and better themselves. Do you feel like there was some sort of personal growth from that that benefited you? Oh, yeah. I mean, anything you practice on a daily basis for years on end is going to, as long as it's a good practice, I mean, habits are built over time and you become kind of what you do habitually. And so, you're leading a group of fitness-minded people habitually for years on end, and you're kind of embodying that. You end up doing well, not only from a fitness standpoint, but also you get to practice, you get the reps. Um, leading a group um, twice a week out in front of folks that are reluctant to open their eyes, not not you know in a literal sense, because it's early in the morning. Uh, <laughs> Bright eyes and, and bushy tail. Yeah, and so you're like motivating folks that are half asleep um, to go do stuff that their bodies tell them they don't want to do. Um, and then you're doing that every day and you're trying to keep it fresh each time to keep people interested, but also maintain some consistency and plan with the partner you're working with um, to have a, a newer, different style workout each time. So you're not getting burnout from repetitive stuff. Um, and then also doing this in, public spaces trying to keep it interesting with with body weight which makes it a limiting factor in terms of uh, really what you can do and then uh, trying to get creative with that and then trying to venture into new spaces and then trying to get people out there in the winter time whenever it's super cold out and maybe there's snow and ice so yeah a lot of um, perspective gained on perspective is kind of the operative word in any career path or activity path um, but a lot of perspective game in terms of how to motivate people in terms of motivating myself in terms of working with a close partner um, in terms of planning and in terms of fitness too. So you're kind of picking up a lot so of what, different what was the name? tasks. Yeah. November project. This was Indianapolis, but there's November projects in like 50 some odd other cities. It started in Boston. Right. What, what's the, What's like the, the idea behind the name of it, though, is what I was asking. Like, why in November? Oh, sure. Yeah, a couple of guys that were in Boston, they were like just wrapping up. They were rowers for Northeastern, and they were just kind of wrapping up that college stint and trying to avoid the dad bod thing. And these guys both are like seven-foot behemoths. They're like caricatures of real people in terms of <laughs> size and personality. And one's kind of like a stoic, um, where is he from? Somewhere in the Eastern Bloc. Um, in Europe and like just a big stoic bearded <clears throat> square faced guy. And the other dude is just a square face, but like incredibly like personable, outgoing, um, almost obnoxious personality. And so they are a good yin and yang while being very similar at the same time. Made it work. So they would go and they were buddies just trying to stay motivated. So they would go and like, they were in, living in Boston. So at the time, so they would go and just, find a green spot on a, on Google Maps and then be like, hey, we're going to run to this spot and meet up there and do a workout. And so they would just kind of take turns exploring the city while motivating each other to work out. 
and they had like an Excel spreadsheet. It started pretty simple. There wasn't a lot of thought based on or put into the name of it, which is kind of why it's quirky. Um, and they were like, this is our November project. So they started it in November of whatever year that was, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was at this point. And so they continued to do their November project of working out with each other. And then they would like kind of sarcastically post themselves working out online or like live stream it on social media when that was starting to first take off and then other people they didn't expect it but other people started to join and like show up and it just grew from there into other cities and whatnot so it was kind of a, a a nerdy almost joke that evolved into this really cool like access to fitness positive program it's pretty cool that is pretty cool yeah it just kind of became trendy like you know you said I mean, they didn't put a lot of thought into their name, and that's kind of the quirkiness of it that kind of made it stick, the stickiness to the to the the lack of thought on that. But also, people just started showing up. They're like, I know that they'll be here Wednesday at 5 a.m., so I'm just going to go join them. And, uh, yeah, the reliability was a huge – I guess that's a good point, too, about the takeaway um, was in, relatable to my, pers- my current career is reliability of showing up when – called or not just show up is kind of their their motto and so it was like you know like in relating it to today like you don't like me or do like me if you are in need i'm showing up to help out then it was kind of like regardless of the weather regardless of your mindset or how tired you are we'll be here you know at 5 30 or 6 a.m every single wednesday and friday so it's on you at this point there's no barrier to us not there's no consideration that we're not going to be here. So there was one time we were in Boston, I think it was for St. Patrick's Day or something, and uh, I was going to go to my first November project meeting uh, session with you, and uh, I think we forgot to set our alarm and then just sort of woke up and realized we were supposed to be at this, uh, we were supposed to meet them here at this time, and we couldn't, so you and I got up, we Ubered to like where we thought it was supposed to be, and then uh, it ended up, I guess we were like, we just missed it or something, so we're like, all right, let's just go eat breakfast. And we had this whole hearty meal in like just a random restaurant in uh, downtown Boston. And then we found a hundred dollars on the ground. Yeah. You don't remember this? I, I don't, I remember you guys running into like coming over to the like after party after they had like the, the summit, the get together each year that they do. We that did was that. In Boston. Yeah. I don't remember the. No, like, this workout. was. Was this on St. Patty's? Is that what you said? Yeah, it was St. Patrick's that, Day. And I, that explains the, the hole in the... Possibly. I don't remember the workout because you didn't go to the workout. Yeah, we didn't do That's the workout. That's part of it, too. That's yeah. probably a big portion is not remember. I don't remember events I did participate in. It's even harder to remember the ones that you didn't. <laughs> yeah. We didn't participate in the event, but you and I went and sat and we got like this this Mexican breakfast in like just in the middle of downtown Boston or something. We like, ah, oh, well, we missed the workout. Well, all right, well, let's go eat. Let's do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. All right, <laughs> never mind. It sounds, it sounds fuzzily remem- memorable, but about yeah, that weekend, my more memorable part was the fact that we were like just every chance we got, it was either Jameson or it was like A lucky charms with Guinness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we were obnoxiously like drunk too, just. There's a, uh, there a lot of Southie accent shenanigans that should have gotten us a minimum beat up by somebody from Southie. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Hey, you know where Whitey Whitey's at? Where where can we go find Whitey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we should have come out a lot less scathed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, you don't remember that. I, that was one of my best breakfasts that I can to this day that I better can remember. Noblesville. Wow. That's up there as well. That is a heck of a. That was I miss it. You know that restaurant there and and the wait the wait staff. <laughs> Um, but anyway, back to the point, um, you know, say so you did this, you got this sort of leadership, uh, skill set, you know, that you developed from November project and you, either you leverage that into, um, you know, your careers, you know, becoming a cop, but now to the part that, uh, you know, I guess the main thing of what we want to talk about is, you know, the career you're in now, we've gotten the lead up to where, you know, everything you did before and, despite what everyone else does and like uses that to, uh, you know, I'm following this path cause I'm going to end up at X. You said, well, screw that path. I'm just going to go do this right here. So now you're a cop. What does, what's your day to day? Like what's your title? What do you call that? Patrol officer. That's it. I was like a patrol officer in elementary school. Like I wore this like badge. And say, uh, <laughs> I was in that too, mainly for the, <laughs> this pizza party at the end of the year but also because of public service you're a process server like yeah shine shoes yeah <laughs> god all right you're a patrol officer so but they should change the name because it's deceptive because the run load in a large city police department at least in indianapolis i imagine it's pretty similar elsewhere is is insane compared to the amount of people you have responding to these runs and so patrol at one point had a had a purpose had a functionality in the name being a patrol officer which is like it sounds like a proactive thing but nowadays it's almost more of like like a reactive position akin to more like a fire department or a firehouse where you get a call and respond to it and you're kind of like either doing reports or just killing time or keeping your sanity in between runs because the runs come out so often. Um, so a lot, there's a lot less proactivity, a lot less patrolling actively that folks do nowadays just because of the quantity of dispatched runs. So like response officer would be a lot more, or just officer would be a lot more fitting name for today's kind of happenings. Now, is that because yeah, so you're very, you're wrong with it, Ryan, go ahead. You're, so you're very rarely just like sitting around, like kind of watching people. You're always on the move to the next call, basically. Um, more so in the summertime. The wintertime, there's more downtime. It's probably like a third less or half as much of a run load. Um, just because summer, people get hot and bothered. They're out doing stuff. And wintertime kind of calms down. Like weather is like the best <laughs> crime fighter, like shitty, cold, gray days. As long as it's not like sleeting or it's too, too cold hard. out to commit a crime. Yeah, they're just like I'm gonna save yeah. these for save this for summer. Put on my to do list. Get that murdering done next. When the leaves turn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fall's coming in. Time to put the weapons away. Yeah, basically. Back inside I go. <laughs> um, there's a. Did you read Outliers? Either of you read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? No, but I read Hatchet. I, I did in Paul School. <laughs> <laughs> it's very relatable to the murder topic. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, no, but yeah, there was. It might not have even been outliers, but he has a few few books out there where he kind of does the same thing. Like 
like Freakonomics, what they do, they'll, they'll pick a topic and find a, a relating or causing factor. And uh, I think one of the subjects was uh, heat. Like when it gets abnormally hot out, that is when the most crimes tend to happen. At least that's what the stats are showing. Yeah, I think it's accurate. I mean, yeah. like literal, like people are literally hot and bothered. I think. I think <laughs> Stressed like, out. Yeah. Yeah, I think it factors into it. Like your decision making. Think about how much more, or like how much shorter you are in terms of your um, patience when it's like hot and mu- and humid, versus like if it's a perfect day out and you haven't been at work all day or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I get hot and bothered. Yeah. I haven't yet committed a crime because of it, but... No, that's the difference is that you're educated and not, like, so economically burdened that you're... And and so, like, have so little on the line in terms of reputation that you're willing to do whatever at any time. That's the difference, but... Yeah, nothing to lose. Yeah, exactly. And there's a a lot of people with nothing to lose, I would say, more don't realize that they have things to lose and just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a patrol officer. It's less patrolling now. Is that because, you know, the volume has risen in recent years or it's just because of technology, the processes, you know, these events are more noticeable and you're getting more calls or you're understaffed. I mean, what's, what's the factor here? I would say it's, culmination of all of that there's um fewer people wanting to do the job and more people not wanting to do the job so you got more retirees and fewer applicants so the math isn't good but at the same time the run doesn't the run load doesn't doesn't go down just because the amount of people responding goes down so you have fewer people taking on a larger workload plus you have people living in a strange society where we're trying to like readapt to how things are today post pandemic and how to interact whenever people live their lives online, how to actually like troubleshoot with other people in person and problem solve. And so you have generational issues in terms of that, um, where communication is, is lacking. Interpersonal communication is lacking from a person to person perspective. So if anything goes wrong, a lot of times we are the respondent coming out to solve somebody's problem, or even if it's not a small one-off thing, if it's a domestic dispute and it's been a family issue for 10 or 20 years, we're called to solve a problem in five minutes. And our solution is never going to be a working solution. It's going to be a temporary. It's going to be like a Band-Aid on a sinking ship, basically, where we provide a solution to calm things for our shift, basically. And then, you know, beyond that, it's the impetus is on people to solve their own problems, which typically they won't. So they had met, if anything, the, the title should be problem solver because that's generally what we're doing. And it's never a long-term solution. It's typically a very small fix. If you can even call it a fix. Problem delayer. So because of the, yeah, there you go. Because of the, because of the high run rate and the low officers, how many calls a day would you say that don't get attended to? So that's the thing is you have to respond to these runs. So what ends up happening is you have a significant event and that takes a number of officers out of, out of service. And so they're all sitting on that. 
then you have other officers that are still in service that are responding to things. Inevitably, something else will happen down in the direction geographically that whatever that significant event was. And so then you have other officers responding from further away to that area. And so then you have a delay in response time. And then you have people responding that are just as trained as the other officers but don't know the area. So you have kind of a, a lagging in terms of, of connectivity. And so you really don't have this, this beat policing or this community policing aspect anymore because all the, the local, more local or more known officers have been preoccupied with something else. And so then you get others that need to fill in those spots when something inevitably happens in the spot where those officers just left. So then you end up drawing people from all over different spots and it delays response times even further. Um, so it just becomes kind of this, this backlog. We, the runs still get dispatched, even if it ends up going into another shift, but it's, it becomes a kind of an administrative nightmare. And a lot of times more minor stuff, um, which is minor to us, but significant to the person, like a vandalism or a theft or something like that. There's really no active response to it. It's just a report done by phone because there's no availability to investigate that. So it's like, I'm going to, if I drive all the way to wherever that is, I'm just going to be doing a report anyway at this point because our response is so delayed. So you end up with less, you end up with more surface level investigation, less depth of investigation so you try you try and find the quickest solution right there so that you can close out this you know as you you know very well possible is a family dispute or whatever the situation is that doesn't necessarily need a police officer involved but your time and resources are so limited that you just try to find the quickest solution that's you know perceived by the law as the right thing and then write a report and get on to the next call because they're all just it's buzzing in on you Sometimes, I mean, other times you have, <clears throat> other times you, you need to pursue something more and with more depth. Um, like if it was a domestic dispute, that's could devolve into a, a greater issue. And, and there's such a societal issue with domestic violence anyway, that that's, that's kind of in the realm of we're going to devote a little more time to this. Even if stuff's coming out, others can just take care of those other things because we need to focus on this. I'm not as concerned about the donuts getting stolen from Meyer as I am about somebody's wife getting her head smashed in. So like, that's gonna, I'm not going to rush to try to finish that report or that incident, that scene or arrest. However, it results, um, as much as I am something that's just a loss of property and it's a financial issue at the end of the day or, or an accident. We have a lot of accidents that sit there for two hours because they're not injury related. And it's just a, civil claim between insurers at that point. So like it sucks to get an accident in Indy. And I imagine a lot of places because that sits on the pending screen and just waits for somebody to free up or for that to be dispatched to an officer that's maybe been on something else and just trying to like get their mind right before they go back to something else again. Cause you have to approach every run as if it were a brand new scene too, which is hard to do as, as human beings policing other human beings to not have carryover emotion. You might be taking a minor fender right. bender where the person insists on, you know, a, a thorough review or whatever, you know, it's is irate you took so long and then you are just coming from a, a child rape investigation or something like that. Priorities, absolutely. So it sounds like so the dispatch officer probably doesn't have the most exciting 
job as it has to figure out where to send people and how to send them properly stuff like that. So the dispatcher, the way it's set up is people call in, they go through whatever that process is of giving information. Um, and then it, they're, they're calling into the, the centralized dispatch hub communications hub. And so they, when they eventually talk to somebody who they're taking, I don't envy their job because they're not paid well and they have to respond to a lot of stuff and they're just hearing people yell at them all day, including us basically. And right. so their job is to then relay that information to us. Um, if it is, if it's a, like a priority, like a person shot run or something like that, the dispatcher will just put it out directly to us. They'll send a tone out on the police radio. So it kind of alerts people, perk your ears up a little bit more because there's just so much traffic coming through. You tune out stuff that's not directly aimed at you basically, or like somebody is in, in trouble or whatever. Like you basically learn to tune, tune a lot of it out for sanity's sake. Um, but you're not tuning, but you're filtering of yeah. what, what you need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Filter's a better way to put it. But if it's something like a, violent in progress thing like that um and it gets toned out then it catches your ear and that'll come directly from dispatch to us and the dispatchers there's kind of a hierarchy there's also a control operator who is the person who typically will speak directly with so control dispatch draws up a run it goes to control and the control operator then sends it out to us and we're kind of communicating with this control operator um about if we need information or we need to put information in or we need somebody to run a plate or whatever it may be, your financial on a person, some of it you can do by your laptop. But if you're away from your laptop, then it makes it challenging and they're a nice resource to have right there at the click of a button. Um, but there's kind of this hierarchy where control is like the more seasoned vets of the communication side of things and dispatch is the more um, rudimentary or lower on the totem side of things. And so a lot of times they'll have kind of some rough input in terms of what's in the run and it won't be super clear and control will get disgruntled and there's kind of this like a little bit of tit for tat on the radio every once in a while so you have like people that are carrying over emotion into your ear while you're trying to like not be emotional on a scene while you're trying to calm other people's emotion on scene so it, it, it's a lot of uh balancing this gives me just real quick tip. It's kind of funny, but I worked at Domino's as a delivery driver. And so like the way it does there is there's a manager that he dispatches each run and like just the stressful job of that, of like deciding who goes where to make sure that these pizzas get delivered at a proper time, which is obviously nowhere near the seriousness of police, police officers, but just the idea of yeah, the donuts, style system. Um, yeah, that would change the topic. But yeah, it just kind of gave me a flashback of like, I know that, that the dispatcher probably has not a very fun or exciting time at, at, at work every day. Yeah, I'm, I am always impressed by our dispatchers and control operators. I would not be, do well at that job. You're basically just on the phone or on a radio or on multiple calls at once and trying to, like, clarify and organize information, which I don't do well enough anyway. So I can imagine doing that with 20-something officers talking to you plus people calling in and having the worst day of their lives and their family's getting slaughtered or whatever awful thing is going on. And then you've got some other kid that lost his turtle and you're trying to like balance that and then get all this information officers and they're yelling at you. So yeah, it's not an enviable position, but they do a, a great job. Yeah. But yeah, it's right. dispatchers. Important, important I think the police or the emergency realm is only like 10%. <laughs> it's like the most traditional one I think of, but like it's only like 10% of dispatchers. Um, as a role, like there's like military ones, there's flight ones, there's 
trucking is a big one. So there's all sorts of dispatchers, like yeah, commercial, um, commercial, all sorts of different versions, uh, consumer sales, whatever it is. There's a lot of different dispatching. Nice. Uh, I promise you, we'd only take another hour of your time. So I don't know what your day is looking like if you need to run soon. But there's a few more things I want to sort of ask. Um, but what's your? Give me an idea how much time we can get from you left still. Let's dive in and see what, how far we get. Nice. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Let's, uh, <laughs> thank you, Casey. No, but, um, all right. So let's stick with that real quick. So, you, you know, you kind of touched on three different roles within your, your team structure there. And, uh, it kind of, I, I imagine there's half a dozen, if not a dozen more roles within your office. Um, but, <clears throat> or within that, you know, a police department, but you got like the, you know, you're the, you're the boots on the ground. You're the, you're the patrol officer. You kind of, in the field supervising you've got a dispatcher that fields all these calls you know they've got to take down all the information relay it to an operator who then has to decide like all right casey's in the area and you know he's just wrapping up a, an insurance policy situation um that's paperwork so we'll send him to this call but joe's in the middle of a robbery like obviously we can't you know send him to the to this call is that more or less how those roles kind of work yeah, if you're out on something, even if it's a minor thing, you're not going to be re-dispatched somewhere else. You can do that on your own. You can preempt, call it off of whatever role you're on. It'd be like, if I'm on my way to, say, a property damage accident, and I'm like, this this person armed pointing a gun at others is more of a priority right now, and it's on my in my area or I'm nearby it, I'm going to preempt from my report run basically save that for later and then i'm going to go to this other more violent in progress thing instead and that ends up being a good response the violence run but then the other one the more minor thing at least in eyes when i'm kind of triaging things it's to the person obviously it's more important um or it's annoying when you got to wait hours on end for a response but um I end up going to the more important thing um, from a emergency standpoint, and then it ends up making it super delayed for the other folks, which sucks. But yeah, you won't get taken off of. Um, this is, I'm preparing for later post shift here. Was that a monster? <laughs> no, that's a that was a Guinness. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't forget your cereal. Not, not, not pre shift. Yeah. Wait, um, did you just crack that open? <laughs> I'm Guinness. But no, it's uh, you don't you won't get taken off on. You can take yourself off the run, but if you're on something, you'll just finish that up. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, are those sort of the more um, you know, whatever tier that is? Is there a hierarchy to those roles? Uh, for those that you know, if someone's listening to this podcast, uh, we've had 16 listeners in our uh, on our first episode. So, listen, one of those 16 could. Very well. Actually, two of them are Ryan and I. So, um, if we decided to go into the police department, you know, is there a hierarchy to those positions, or is that just sort of the you all apply? Like, I want to work for the police force, uh, and then they say, Casey, you're a patrol officer. Joe, your operations. Ryan, you're dispatch. How does that work? No, they're they're totally different roles, and they're applied for in different ways. So they don't have like. They're not actually technically part of the police department. They're under the guise of 
sheriff, which is sounds the same from the outside looking in, but it's different. They're kind of managed under a communications wing of that organization, from what mm-hmm. I gather. And so they're they're the job, the application, everything is totally separate from the police. They just are our, our kind of guiding light in our ears as we're working throughout the day. Uh, but you'll come on board in that position as a dispatcher, and then you kind of advance. Last question about the job then. And then um, there's a few like deep things that we want to understand about uh, just our, our guest, and um, yeah, maybe enlighten those that are listening and uh, want to take this path. But uh, Underwear as, size and preference, things like that. Yeah, do you wear the, um, the Hanes with the cartoons? Uh, I, of course, with the pants shitting, I wear multiple. Multiple layers. Yeah. Yeah. Always best to layer up. Of course, yeah. I learned from my background detective. <laughs> from my past experiences. Uh, the question is for the training and the, you know, application process is all of that upfront and provided for you, or is there stuff that's, you know, like, all right, I want to sign up. I'm going to apply. I know there's gotta be some sort of physical and maybe educational, but is everything provided to you for you to succeed to, you know, to know, to prepare for it? Yeah. The, yeah, it's all disclosed. Like the whole process is posted online and it's a state sanctioned process. So, nothing is, sm- is smoke and mirrors. Um, it's a matter of just preparing yourself for those processes and, and having the right mentality about it. So like I'm, like I said, start teaching out of the academy for the law portion, for part of the law portion um, of their onboarding out there. And I've had a couple of recruits that'll come up to me and like, ah, I just don't know if I, it's for me or whatever. And and so you kind of like give them a pep talk and try to perspective and play where it's like, look, dude, at the end of the day or lady, at the end of the day, you've got like taxpayers paying you to come out and learn and work out like they're going to treat you maybe somewhere between kindergartner and an army recruit because it's like a paramilitary academy. So, yeah, it's different than a normal job you're used to. But at the same time, some of the stuff you just got to have like thick skin or understanding of and grin and bear it and realize that maybe there's a purpose behind some of this maybe not for some of it's just you know the the paramilitary aspect but other parts it's like yes there it might be an annoying part of the process or a challenging part mentally or physically or whatever but you know it's all part of the training yeah all right so yeah everyone you know there'll be trials of course with any sort of job or or any sort of uh challenge in life uh but all of it's up front for someone to prepare different different ones will affect different people differently yeah. not everybody's going to struggle with the same portions right right nice um i did want to ask a deep question but uh i think maybe to that same uh tune right here is there something so we kind of already touched on the fact that there's been some bad press obviously and and you know rightfully so there's a lot of there were a lot of mistakes made um and they continue to happen but it shines a negative light on being a police officer and you know what's the good or you know what sort of advice or commentary you can provide to you know kind of explain you know the police force and you know why why would someone do it what's the benefit that you find from it uh and to avoid the negative aspect of what the media is portraying lately they they talk about like having your why like Everybody's got their why. Of, I mean, that's for anybody, but police especially, they emphasize like your why of why you're doing this because you're going to run into like some bullshit on a daily basis, administratively, societally, 
media wise, whatever it is, you're going to be like faced. You're going to be, when people want you to be an adversary, that's what you're going to be viewed as. It's kind of like, kind of the Batman of sorts. Like if you want, people are going to view you as your enemy at some point and then, then turn around and call you for help whenever shit hits fan. It's like my why is, is basically like to help those who, who can't help themselves. So like help the vulnerable and the needy sort of thing. And that kind of stems from that community background. Um, but then also do it in an equitable balanced way, which stems from that, that same sort of background. And then understanding the law and my abilities or my inabilities is a big portion of that for me. And so that's why I'm interested in like training others at the academy and doing the field training stuff is to make sure that I have some say in um, the quality of officers that are coming out or have some influence in that. And so keeping perspective is a word that keeps coming up, but it's important because keeping in perspective, like the fact that this is a necessary job. And if you're not responding to the violent killer or the abusive spouse or the accident that's jammed up the whole intersection or whatever the, or the sexual offense, whatever the, the disgusting, awful, terrible, sad thing in society may be like, who's the one responding to that? Otherwise, like there's not, there's not another option. You're it. That's, that's who you call. And so with that, that helpful, why with that good from a, from a role perspective, bad from a lot of theme in, in policing is good for business, bad for society. And that's kind of like what that is, is it's, it's good for like motivation of why I want to do the job. But at the same time, this is awful for somebody's life um and so it's it's interesting and and cool to be the the helper and the the go-to person in a situation like that which is a very motivating thing even if it comes with and that's important to keep in perspective even when it comes with the negative generalizing or stereotyping side effects that the irony of which is is that these are the problems that led to to poor or that people want to point out as poor policing in the first place the irony is that that same backwards mentality is what's now being used to discriminate, you know, generalizing in a generalizing sense against police. So it's not a one for one equation. Obviously, it's a chosen profession versus, say, in a race instance, a an assigned genetic code. But um, the difference, the similarities are apparent in terms of like these are things that we can avoid, and it's an individualized. It's an individualized job with individualized motivations. So you just have to have your own for why you want to make a difference when it comes down to and kind of cast aside the, the negativity or filter that out or educate people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone has a different why, but so, you know, the main thing is, is your why for good or, you know, is it selfless? It, it, this is, it sounds like you're saying this is a, for the most part, a selfless uh, role to provide for society. Well, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, to an extent. I mean, more so than, it's a deeper job than, than a lot of jobs out there, than any other professional job, or the lawyer job that I had before that wasn't a, a deep kind of calling-driven or or uh, others helping others-focused job so much. You know, all, you can say anybody's, people want to help, that's a lot of different jobs, but this one is a little more direct on the scene, like, yes, this is what, the, this is what helping people looks like when it comes down to a life or death thing or whatever it may be. Or even just administrative side of what that stuff is and keeping um, society moving or people calm in a violent, tense situation. So, yeah. 
And those. Basically, yeah, what it comes down to is your why has to be more resilient than the bullshit mm-hmm. that you'll be faced with. Right. So those that have been portrayed in a negative light and either rightfully so or not rightfully so, you know, we're not going to, de- you know, make that delineation. But for instance, yes, we already- well, some, I mean, make it some deserve it. Like that's sure. not something I shy away from. That's I think has been an issue with police is that we have this kind of mentality of like the thin blue line of silence. It's like, yes, the thin blue line thing is kind of a neat concept because it's like, you know, you're like the last stand against people like being assholes to others to put it you know very service level but like the the silence thing is kind of stupid yes i i realize that people don't want to get in trouble for overstepping what they're doing or saying but at the end of the day that shouldn't mean just backing the blue with you know a blind a blind sense of loyalty it should be backing the rightful blue folks not not just anybody that puts a badge on their navy blue uniform and i think that's been a problem that's plague policing and has led to in a number of among other historical um, atrocities that's been probably the problem that's been plaguing policing it makes it easy to generalize is, is because we are overly supportive of or overly not critical of folks that are just ruining the profession and just being blind. The yeah just being blind to the to the issues yeah and you can relate that to same thing happens in a lot of other portions of society too where people will just put on rose-colored glasses and whoever can do no wrong at this point in time you know and so it's an relatable thing but it's the same kind of backwards mentality that 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 plagues the profession and, and gives it this this big black eye yeah you know thank so, you you know for for making that confident stance there um because yeah i don't want to say that you know certain things are not the wrong response uh but yeah I think there needs to be, you know, I think we all agree that there needs to be some sort of uh, stance taken for the right versus the wrong. And there's a lot of confusion about, or or just blatant stupidity about a mistake that somebody makes in a tense, rapidly evolving, uncertain, violent situation where humans are trying to make decisions about what other humans may or may not do or have done or, or whatever, and usually with substances and mental health and weapons thrown in versus... Um, somebody just outright doing something uh, doing something purposefully wrong having a having a negligent situation versus having a criminally liable the the mens rea is there we have intentionality about this um, incident that's that's where we're seeing the lines blurred and that's what what frustrates me I think um, as we try to like get some some credibility back in the police world as people generalize and it just becomes uh, overly broad which is kind of the, the problem that police were putting on themselves in the first place so there's some unfortunate irony there yeah yeah well thank you for that uh, candidness candor i guess um but let's get into the last segment because uh i think we're running out of time that we have for you so every guest that we, we bring on we try to ask them a few questions about themselves and uh, figure out something about them. So this one right here, um, do you have like a favorite book, a favorite song, and a favorite movie? Um, and you can answer that in any order you want. You don't have to answer all three either. Um, just anything that sticks out to you, uh, one of those three. Let's see. Forrest Gump, all of the above. That's, go. you know, a great soundtrack. But love to just all the out to music. Yeah. What's that? Um... I guess next we'll ask you, uh, is there anything that you're like 
either training for right now or pursuing right now um, that you're just trying new or any hobbies that you've picked up recently? Writing. I'm trying to figure out how to publish a book I've written, which is a four-year process. On the the first one, we talked about that briefly, but that's cool. Then we'll Um, say what's the uh, book about? No, the book. The book is a good answer. I just want. I was wondering what what the book (laughs) going to be about. I just want to make sure it's the right answer. (laughs) This is not a polygraph test. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which just tell me what the right answer is, right? Tell us about your book, Casey. What's the? What's... It's about everything we've talked about here, basically. Gotcha. It's a, a memoir and then perspective on policing, wrapped up into a memoir on policing stories and perspective right. and why things are done the way they are, plus some entertainment value and education, plus life story wrapped in Sweet. there. And then I guess it's the I'm, last go- one I'm going with Spearfetch. Yeah, I changed my answer. <laughs> Spear fishing. Okay. <laughs> I know um, I got a lot of work to figure that one out, and, but it's on the docket. Yeah, that's cool. That's a something I would never try or have ever tried. So that's cool. Um, the last thing is there any? I guess it's like for you to promote yourself. But do you have any social media handles or any um, anything? I guess maybe the book title or anything that you want to like shout yourself out with. <laughs> I like how that was a quick amendment there. You're like, all right, this guy not on social media so how else are we gonna how do we sell this well, <laughs> the book title is i don't know what you're on yeah yeah no on uh the facebook it's <laughs> casey seaton cop one two three fake account at yahoo.com that's my <laughs> facebook that's where people can find your email that's where you can find me on instagram it's that that yahoo email by logging into facebook um no but the the title of the book is between Andy Griffith and the army kind of referencing how responses to um, police responses to things are kind of fall on a spectrum of where one moment you might be kind of the Mayberry sit down in the courthouse um, sort of walk the street, easy going conversation. And then the next moment might be a shootout. So it's um, a wide variety of responses needed and the book kind of colors some of that um space the gray between those two extremes now which one was the title name between andy griffith and the army got it okay you did say that but i wasn't certain that was a description or the title yes (laughs) that is the title Nice, man. Well, um, we appreciate you being on the, the show. Uh, took us, you know, several different uh, iterations because uh, we drained your phone battery and um, and honestly, you just have a lot to share. You know, we dive deep into everything that uh, we talked with you about, you know, your life uh, early on and what led you to becoming a cop and, you know, ultimately your career and the path to get there. Um, and that's kind of what this uh, whole episode is about, this whole show. So we appreciate your time and, and sharing your story. Well, thanks for having me, Jensen. Thanks for your patience in uh, listening and, your, and the editing process, especially. <laughs>